Good morning, everyone. I am not Grimaldi, but we have the same haircut. <laughs> I tried that joke twice now. <laughs> uh, my name is Casey Quorum. I'm from uh, the Vineyard out in Southern California, and uh, I'm here for a regional conference. Uh, there's a Vineyard Regional Conference here in the next couple days, in case you didn't know. And so I get to join you today uh, just to worship with you, so I'm excited to be here. Let's go ahead and start by standing, uh, if you're able, and let's... Um, Let's pray. Lord, we're uh, grateful for these times that we can gather together in your name and reach out in faith through these simple songs. And as we sing these simple songs this morning, we pray that um, more than just saying nice things about you, Lord, we want to meet with you. We want to meet with the living God this morning. So as we sing and lift our voices, be here with us in a real way, in a tangible way, and lift our hearts into your presence, Lord. Lift burdens this morning. Bring freedom this morning. Do your kingdom work here. We just want to cooperate with what you want to do today, Lord. So, so come and meet us. In Jesus' name, amen.
been restored. I have been restored to the love of God. Thought it was the end, but it's just begun. Sinner saved.
of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever pay. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
God. Thank you for how you meet us right where we are, not where we should be, but where we are, Lord. We love you. We bless you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for meeting us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, good morning, everyone. So glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. My name is Phil Trollian. I am the lead pastor here at the church and uh, just have a couple of announcements to go over with you this morning. All right, so if you live in New Jersey, you know that we no longer can use plastic bags. And I am definitely one of those guys now that when I go to the supermarket, I'm coming out carrying everything that I got and trying to not drop it when I'm in the parking lot because I always forget to bring a bag in. Um, what this has meant for our food bank is that we can't, we can't use plastic bags, we can't use paper bags, we need reusable bags, and that's expensive, but we've got this whole plan to kind of recycle them, but if you could bring in, over the course of the next couple of weeks, if you could bring in some reusable bags to donate to the food bank, that would be really helpful. Maybe some of you brought some in today, and uh, if so, there's going to be a bin right by the Open Door Community Center table. Uh, in the lobby, and so uh, so you can turn in your bags, and it'll help us out a lot. All right, well, starting tomorrow night, we are going to be hosting our uh, Eastern Regional uh, Pastors and Leaders Conference for the Vineyard, and so we're excited to do it. It's a lot of work. Uh, we're going to have somewhere probably close to 500 people uh, here for the conference, and, and uh just a lot of work, a lot of moving parts, but I just want to take a moment and thank the, it's, I think it's about 70 of you who have volunteered to serve during this conference. And so you guys are going to be serving in the parking lot, you're going to be serving on security, you're going to be serving on the welcome team, serving in the, in the sound booth, serving with kids, serving with teens, serving with, serving in so many ways. And I just want to say thank you because it really, it's a privilege that we can, that we can host this conference and bless the vineyard in this way, but we couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much uh, for that. It really, it is really appreciated. Hey, just want to let you know too, that if, if you're wondering about the best way to give to the church, if you're, you know, coming to the church and you want to help support us financially, uh, you want to um, open up a push pay account. About 95% of the giving that happens through this church happens through PushPay, and so it's definitely super user-friendly. It's real easy, uh, real easy to navigate. So you can, you can go to our website at njvine.com, click on the giving app. You can go to our app, click on the giving app, those, and then you'll easily find your way to PushPay. Or you can just take out your phone, go to your app store, and search for, for PushPay, download the app, set up a North Jersey Vineyard Church account, and uh, you'll find it a real easy way uh, to, to support the church financially going forward.
All right, that's it for announcements. Um, I want to thank you for, for coming and worshiping with us this morning, and, uh, and I hope to see you again soon. All right, good to see everyone. How are you all doing? So if any of you guys are detectives in here, you can see that I am not Pastor Phil. So uh, Pastor Phil, our, our lead pastor, he's actually right now hanging out with the national director of Vineyard USA, uh, just in preparation for our conference. So you guys have me this morning, amen? All right, good. All right, you bless me, you bless me, you bless me. You know, you never know. Are you going to get a clap or are you going to get a tomato thrown at you? I don't know. Um, so with that being said, let's take a moment. Let's fill out our connection cards. So these connection cards, you can see them on your app if you have downloaded our app, or you can pull them out of the seat pocket located right in front of you. If you are a first-time guest, we'd ask that you just fill out this connection card. Give us as much information as you feel comfortable giving us. If you give us your address, we're going to send you a gift in the mail. If you give us your email address, we're going to send you a welcome email with a quick survey. And just asking about your experience here. Also, if you are a second-time guest, note that you're a second-time guest because we want to send you another gift in the mail as well as send you a follow-up survey to understand what made you come back because we want to be able to better serve you as well as our broader region here. Uh, all other regular members, attenders, um, just fill out, let us know that you're here, and you can put a prayer request in the back, and myself and the other pastors, we're going to pray for you on staff. So let's take a moment, let's fill out our connection cards together. filled out the connection card on the app you can click send and we'll get that information if you have the physical connection card wait to end the service when the baskets are passed you could put that in there along with your offering and we'll get that information that way amen all right so you know some of you may know this some of you may not know this but on sunday nights i go to a church in hillside and i actually work with uh, elementary age kids and then some early teens so i do that every sunday night and i've been doing this actually for 13 years and it's really awesome and i do it very intentionally because uh, you know, I teach on the college level, and I've done a lot of schooling, but I don't know if any of you have ever worked with kids, but when you have to take complex things and explain them to kids, it makes you a much better instructor and teacher, because you have to keep it simple. Um, but don't let them fool you, because some of these kids will trip you up. They'll stump you. Like, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, um, one, of my, uh, one of my teens, he's actually 18 now, but he was eight at the time. And we had a Sunday, and on this Sunday, um, I said, I opened up and I said, all right, kids, you can ask any questions you want about God, the Bible, Jesus. And you would think that I'd be really equipped to answer this, considering I have a seminary degree and whatnot. You'd think so, right? Well, not quite. Um, this little guy, his name is Lucas, he says to me, he's like, Charles, is God bigger than a tree? I say, oh, no, God's way bigger than a tree. Things like, is God bigger than a mountain? Oh, yeah, yeah, God's bigger than a mountain. He said, wait, wait, another question. Is God bigger than the sun? The sun's a lot bigger than earth. Is God bigger than the sun? 
And I saw where he was going, so I said, listen to me, Lucas. God is bigger than the sun and every other star in all of the universe put together. And he said, then how did God fit in Mary's stomach? (laughs) Seminary didn't prepare me. Seminary didn't prepare me. But, you know, I learned something else about kids. Kids have hit stories. They have hit stories, especially from the Old Testament. If you ever have to work with children, I'm going to give you three stories. If you go with one of these three stories, I guarantee you it's going to be a hit. First, tell them a story about a little boy, David, who beats up a really big guy. It's a hit. Or go with a story about this guy named Noah who builds a really big boat and fills it with animals. Kids go wild. Or you can tell them the story about this guy named Daniel who was hanging out with lions and they were gentle enough that he could pet them. Any one of those stories is a hit. And guess what? I'm privileged. I get to share with you guys this morning a hit story because we're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den. So if you would, bow your hearts with me. If you feel comfortable, close your eyes. But at the end of the day, God is more concerned about the disposition of our heart, not just the posture of our body. So bow your hearts with me. Most high God, I thank you for this time where we as believers can gather together and we can just worship you for who you are. Bless our times, Lord God. Touch our minds that we might think the way that you think. Touch our hearts that we might feel the things that you feel. Touch our hands that we might do the things that you call us to do. And transform our lives that we might live as the people you have called us to live as. In the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. So as you know, we've been in the book of Daniel And we've been going through chapter by chapter, mostly even verse by verse. Today we are in the sixth chapter, and we're dealing with Daniel and the lion's den. But we're going to revisit some verses from last week because they serve as a precursor to what happens this week with Daniel and the lion's den. So if you would, turn your attention to the screens as we read the scripture. This comes from the sixth chapter of Daniel, and it says this. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. The law of his God. Let me tell you some background, because I love to go into the background of the stories of the Bible, because we understand the context. The background, it gives us more of the meat of the actual text. So the sixth chapter in Daniel represents shift. It represents transition. You see, in all the chapters and all the stories up to this point, Daniel was serving as a captive in an empire known as Babylon. Babylon. 
And over the past couple of weeks, we learned how vicious Babylon could be. Um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given these Babylonian names. Um, and you know, your name speaks to your identity. Not only does your name speak to your identity, it also speaks to someone's authority over you. You name your children because you actually have authority over your children. And so when the Israelites, the ones who were taken into captivity, were given new names, it was a way in which Babylon was saying, we have authority over you. And so they were going through that crisis, and we've seen some of the trials that they experienced that way. But guess what? In the sixth chapter, as we learned last week, the Babylonian empire was overthrown. It was taken by the Persians. Anyone here ever seen uh, the movie 300? 300? Oh, come on, man, you got to get loud of that. That's the most masculine movie I've ever seen. Uh, 300, the, the bad guy in, in 300, those were the Persians. Those were the Persians. And so the Persians were now the super world power of that area, of that region. They ran things. And now Daniel was now a captive in this new empire. So Daniel, in the sixth chapter, he went through shifts. Um, surely he had to go through some linguistic shifts. He had to go through some cultural shifts in which he had to get uh, familiar with new practices and new customs. It's even possible that he was relocated, depending on where Darius might have needed him. Daniel went through all these shifts in this sixth chapter. And on top of that, most scholars believe that Daniel, by this point, was an older man. Some scholars even estimate that he was in his 80s. He was not a young gun anymore. Daniel was an older gentleman, and he's going through all these shifts. Now, all these shifts would be bad enough, but on top of all these shifts, the text says that he has some haters. <laughs> he has some people that are plotting against him. Now, why they plotted against him um, we're not exactly sure, but we can take some guesses. Um, possibly there was a racial element to it because Daniel was a foreigner that was taken to empire and now given um, this authority level or Darius planned to give him uh, the highest position among all the administrators. Maybe they're hating on him for that. Someone from this other racial group. Uh, perhaps they were hating on him because of his age. Maybe there's ageism going on. Um, for most likely, the other satraps and administrators may have been in their 30s or 40s, and here is Daniel in his 80s, and they don't like having this older gentleman in this place of authority. Um, we know that on some level, it was spiritual, because Daniel worshipped and served the true God, and we know that these others were a part of uh, the pagan nations. And so they had other gods and, and foreign uh, worship practices. So maybe they didn't like his worship. Or maybe they were just trifling. <laughs> but in any case, um, we see that they do not like Daniel. And so they come to set a trap for him. But they run into a problem. Because as we talked about last week, Daniel was so excellent at what he did that they couldn't find any grounds to come against him. Because he was trustworthy, he had no corruption, and he wasn't negligent. Can I tell you guys this? That oftentimes your character and your discipline can serve as a hedge of protection around you before the bad things happen. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, character can actually 
spare you from going through certain trials. You know, there are some things that we go through that we think that it's just like the whole world is crashing. It's spiritual. No, maybe all the issues at your work are just don't curse out your boss. Uh, Maybe some of the issues in your interpersonal relationships are be generous and kind. Uh, Maybe in some categories, you just need to be trustworthy. And if we just did these simple, basic character disciplines, which are outlined in Scripture, then we don't have to be uh, on our hands and knees in the dark hour saying, God, save me. Because God says, no, I've given you the power to actually just walk in character and authority yourself here. And so Daniel had that basic hedge of protection because he was, again, trustworthy, not corrupt, not negligent. That means that when it came to the administrative game, guess what? Daniel was running that game. Like, Darius was like, that's my boy right there. He's like, here, you take it because he was so sharp with it. You know, some of you, um, if you listen to maybe your grandparents or some of the older people, they say, whatever you do, be excellent at it. Uh, guess what? That was Daniel. He was excellent at it. And so um, Daniel was, was in this position where he had this basic hedge of protection. And it says that they finally said, we have to do something else. Because they were looking over and over to get him. And it says, finally, they said, the only way we're going to get him is if we do something with the law of his God. So now this is where that evil deceptful, deception comes into their heart. And they create this plot to trap Daniel. They say, we're going to get him one way or the other. Let's read what they do. They say, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So these administrators, these satraps, they come to the king. Notice how they butter up King Darius. They're like, oh, king, may you live forever. You're so wonderful. And then they say, we have this great idea, and it involves all these governors and prefects. No, it's pretty much just a small group. I don't think they went back and interviewed everyone and said, hey, hey, you want to be on board with this plan? No, no, no. It was like, it was like, it was just them. And they said, let's bring everyone into it. And so they t- tell Darius this. But here's how clever they were and how sneaky they were. And they played off of Darius's own pride. They say, create this law in which everyone can only pray to you. Now, you have to understand, back in the ancient world, um, most of the kings, they, they thought of themselves as almost divine. Sometimes they even thought of themselves as divine. And so when Darius heard this plan, um, he, just like Nebuchadnezzar and some of the kings before, he had his own pride issues. And I could imagine he heard a plan about pray to me, and he was like, I like this plan. Put it into writing. And so Darius goes along with it right away because he also even has political agendas. Remember, they had just now taken over the Babylonian Empire. And whenever kings take over, they need to figure out ways to bring unity. And one of the most common ways that you bring unity, especially in the ancient world, is you create common religious practices. And so 
Darius even saw this as an opportunity to advance this unification process that he had within his, in his mind and thoughts. And he said, great, if everyone comes on board and prays to me, I'll be the king of all kings. And so Darius is on board with it. Now, on the deceptive level for the administrators and satraps, they recognize something about the Persians. The Persians, even more so than the Babylonians, honored law. And so they actually saw the law as something that superseded even the authority and power of the king. And so they knew that once something was written into law, even King Darius would be subject to it. And so that's why they say, put it into writing, put it on the law, because what they wanted to do is they wanted to set a trap for Daniel that even Darius himself could not get Daniel out of. A very, very effective plan because, as we're going to see, once they set the trap, even Daniel and Darius, who wanted to help Daniel, are stuck. Well, let's see how Daniel responds when he hears about this law. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Uh, this is really funny to me because remember, Daniel's in his 80s at this time. Um, you know, I served as a minister in a church of elderly people. Uh, about 80% of the people in this church were in their late 70s and early 80s. I was there for six years, and I learned a couple things about older individuals. Number one, don't mess with the older individual's routine. They don't like a change in their routine. If they have breakfast at 8.45, don't show up at 8.30. 8.45 is when they have breakfast. Older individuals, they like their routine. Don't mess with their routine. Next thing about older individual, they're not going to give a lot of attention if you come to them talking foolishness. If you come talking crazy, they have a mentality, I only have a couple of breaths left and I'm not wasting them on you. Two things are happening here. Daniel, 80 years old, he's had a routine. His routine was he went to his window and he prayed three times a day. And he was sure not going to be stopping his routine because some of these young fools had created this, young law, this new law. And you notice it doesn't even say Dan He doesn't even respond. He just, it says he heard about the decree and then he went on upstairs. I can imagine he, it's like he was there, he heard about the decree and he was like... Yeah, these fools think I'm not going to pray. I'm going to be praying. I'm walking to my... Yeah, they think... Uh, they don't know who I am. Okay, I've been doing this for decades. He walked right up, and he's so gangster with it, my man Daniel doesn't even close the windows. He doesn't even try to hide. Uh, that was Daniel. And so he has this routine of prayer, and so he had this de deep understanding that, hey, I'm going to pray whether there's a law on earth or not a law because my name is Daniel. And what does Daniel mean? It means that only God can judge me. So you might be an earthly judge, but I'm worshiping the judge of judge, the one that's enthroned in heaven. I, I, I love that passage, just how he responds. He doesn't defend. He just goes and does his prayer and says, everyone, you can know it. And I think, too, Daniel had this sense. By this time, it's very likely. Daniel had been praying for decades. And he's in his 80s. Do you think that he's going to stop his routine in his latter years? I don't think so. 
Man, I would hope that all of us would have a type of stubbornness when it comes to our spiritual lives, the same stubbornness that Daniel had. Would we be stubborn about not changing our spiritual habits and our spiritual disciplines just because life circumstances, just because laws come into effect? But will we be disciplined for the things of God? That's Daniel right there. So moving on, of course, the, the, the administrators knew that Daniel was going to keep on praying. And, and they're like, all right, now we got him. And this is what it says they, they did. They went back to the king and said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. Notice how they label him, the exile from Judah. That, that was a way of them demeaning him. Like this, this little Daniel. It says, he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went up as a group to the king Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually, rescue you. It's really interesting because the satraps, these administrators, had set the trap, and then they called on Darius to be subject to the very trap in the words that he had written. They actually had the king by his neck, in a sense. And we can be um, suspicious or we can expect that even in this moment that Darius started to realize something was aloof. But remember, Daniel had so distinguished himself that in that moment, Darius doesn't even get upset at these administrators who had clearly uh, tricked him and did something to usurp his own authority, but rather he goes and he's looking for ways in which to save Daniel. Can I say that there's another principle here? You know, you may have uh, haters, you may have people that are trying to hold you down, but if you are a person of character and discipline, it is so often the case that God positions someone that has power and authority, and with that person, he gives you favor. Amen. You see, Daniel had favor with Darius. Darius was looking out for him. But even with that favor, the law held Darius back. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where even the people in power, you're too far for them to rescue you. At this point, he had rescue and hope from one source, and that was from the God of gods, from the king of kings, from the true judge. So it says, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. And with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Nothing on earth could change the situation that Daniel was in. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. Darius, because of his affection that he had for Daniel, was disturbed. Darius was probably more disturbed than even Daniel. And so Daniel is in the lion's den. But what happens to Daniel? What's the next thing? Let's turn to the next verse. It says, this is the next morning. 
At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted God. Because he had trusted God. Now, let's be honest. When old Daniel came walking out of that lion's den, I would have loved to see the faces of the satraps and administrators. Because right then, they must have been like, oh, we done messed up now. You see, the satraps and administrators, they didn't know who they were messing with. You see, they were messing with a child of God. They were messing with someone who had destiny. They were messing with someone whose name was only God can judge me. Let me say, some of the things that are coming against you, um, just remind those situations who you are, that you are the beloved of God. Remind them that, that you are one that is chosen in Christ Jesus, that you have purpose and destiny that has been given to you from the foundations of all creation. Daniel was a man that was chosen by God, and now we see the outpouring. And notice that it says that there was an angel that came there was a supernatural provision, and we're going to talk about that in a couple minutes, but there was a supernatural provision that God gave in that situation. Um, what do you think happens to these satraps and administrators? What, what goes down with them? Well, let's read in the verse. It says this, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel, falsely accused, were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children, and before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. Now, this is a hard verse. Hopefully, I'll bring some clarity because we hear this and it's like, why the wives and the children? Like, these are some evil people. Why the wives and children? Uh, let me be clear. This was the command of the king. This was not God's command. King Darius was still a pagan king. And in his rage and in his fury, he sends them with their wives and their children who had nece not necessarily any part in this deception. But there is a principle, there is a lesson here. And that is when you conspire towards evil and deception gets rooted in your heart, it doesn't just affect you, but it affects those close to you as well. You see, sin has a cascading effect. It has a ripple effect. Um, sin doesn't like to just say self-contained, but rather it spreads, it impacts. And I can could, I could imagine that every single one in this room has been impacted or hurt by the sins of others. And the truth of the matter is everyone in this room has hurt and impacted others with our own sin. That's, let that be a warning to all of us. So, so they, they, they get sent down, they die, and then it, it goes on later in the passage to say that, that Daniel is prosperous and successful and, and all those different things. But the questions I have this, this evening, and this morning rather, that I want to challenge us with is, what can we learn from the experience of, Dave, of Daniel? What can we learn from his life, from this moment, from this, this situation? I want to say that, first of all, 
there are times that you cannot avoid the lion's den. There are some challenges, some trials, some painful experiences that you're going to go through. We spoke earlier about how Daniel was a man of character, of, again, diligence, hard work. He was trustworthy, and that protected him from a lot of nonsense, a lot of trials. But even in spite of that, the reality of the human experience is that there will be occasions in which we find ourselves in the lion's den. There are some trials, some tribulations that are actually appointed for you. They're set up for you. And through those trials, through those situations, um, God is going to get the glory. We can't duck every time the lions come. But there is a promise in Scripture. The promise is not that God is going to uh, stop you from going to the lion's den, but there's a promise that God will be with you in the lion's den. The scripture that I read says that uh, God, Christ Jesus, will never leave you nor forsake you. And so whatever trial, whatever challenge you go through, know that the living God walks beside you. The living God walks with you. The living God goes before you. That's the truth of the lion's den. All of us, at some point, find ourselves in the lion's den. And what, was it, what did it say of Daniel? It says that he had trusted God. What is our, our, our response when we find ourselves in the lion's den? It's to trust God, to trust the character of who God is. You know that Daniel did not know how things were going to unfold. We get to read the scripture. Daniel had to live the scripture. But what it does say is that he trusted God. What does it mean to trust God? What do we mean when we say trust God when you're going through these situations? It means you continue to do the things that you know are true. When you're in the middle of a trial and tribulation, it says in scripture, don't neglect the gathering of saints. Guess what? When you're in the trial and tribulation, get connected with the saints. When it talks about in the scripture, pray continually, continuously. It says, bring before the throne of grace all your needs and requests. So guess what? When you're in the middle of a trial and tribulation, when it says to trust God, it means to continue to pray. It talks about the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So when you're in the middle of a trial and tribulation, we continue to press into the word of God. Listen, the moment that Daniel heard that this decree had been declared, he knew that this meant death. This, he knew that this meant the lion's den. But guess what he did? He continued to trust God. So that's why he continued to pray over and over again three times a day. And I want to tell you guys, when you're in the the lion's den continue to trust God. Amen. Second point that we can learn from this story is the reality of the spiritual world. You know, this is a theme in my life right now, and I've shared it even from the stage, is that we have to remember that the world around us is spiritual. Um, I'll give you a theological word, um, and it's a, it means, it says this, um, the Christian faith believes in a populated cosmology. What that means is that we believe that, that reality consists of more than what you can see, hear, feel, taste, or smell, but that there are spiritual uh, entities and spiritual realities all around us. There are angels, there are demons, there's God, there's the Holy Spirit, there's an adversary against our souls, Satan himself. These are real spiritual realities. 
We can't do a Christian faith and ignore the fact that the realities of the spiritual world are all around us. Those are real things. All throughout the book of Daniel, we see the spiritual realities making themselves known. Uh, later in Daniel, there, it talks about a battle in the spiritual realm between Michael and a demonic power. Um, we see how there's the handwriting on the wall that we looked at a couple weeks ago. We see how there was that fourth uh, one that was like the son of God that uh, appears in uh, the, the fiery furnace. The spiritual arena in the, in the world of Daniel is ever-present. And guess what? Can I say that? Not everything that you go through is merely just natural. I have a saying. You don't want to find the devil behind every bush, but when it's a devil, don't beat around the bush. Listen, the world of the supernatural is ever-present. And in this story, God sends supernatural provision. It says that when he's in lion's den, it says that the angel closed the mouths of the lions. We don't know how Daniel perceived as an angel. It doesn't say that he saw the angel. It doesn't say he heard the angel. But somehow, one way or the other, he perceived angelic activity. I'll tell you a story I remember hearing when I was about 10 years old. One of the most impactful testimony stories I've ever heard. I was 10 years old. I was sitting in an adult church. It was great. I was 10. In adult church. And I remember there's a guest, a guest preacher that came. And this guest preacher, um, he had previously been a corrections officer. So he worked within the, as, a, as a prison guard inside the jails. And he had so many opportunities in which he shared the gospel. And he saw many people transformed by the reality of Jesus Christ. To such an extent that later he became a pastor. Because he saw the fruitfulness of his ministry. And he shared this one story about a young man in the prison system who was Muslim. And so he was a, 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 a worshiper of, of Allah. He encountered Jesus and became a Christian. Now let me tell you something. My dad was also a corrections officer. And there's a big rule in prison. You don't change teams. That's, that's a no-no. No, no, no. So when he became a Christian, um, his... Muslim posse, they set out to kill him. And, and he knew that this is how things unfolded because when he was an active Muslim, he had been participate in violent acts against others who had less, left the Muslim faith. And so when he declared himself a Christian, he knew that he had signed up for death. And so he did his best in the prison to avoid um, the other Muslim inmates. And he, he tried to assign himself to certain tasks. He, he notified everyone of what could happen, yada, yada, yada. But then there was this one circumstance in which he got cornered by three Muslims that used to be part of his posse. And no one else was around. It was just three of them. And they were coming at him with shanks. Shanks are like prison-made weapons, all right? They're like weapons. And, and he knew what was about to happen. In fact, he even knew where they were going to hit him to kill him. And so what he did as they came towards him, he closed his eyes. And he just said the same prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because he said, I know I'm going to die, but I'm going to die living for Jesus. Well, he closed his eyes. And 15, 20 seconds passed, and he knew by now they should have struck him. And so he opened his eyes to see what was going on, and he saw these three individuals start backing up, and then they turned around, and they ran away. And he was like, wow, okay. He was like, I don't know what God did, but God must have done something because I shouldn't be here. And he noticed for the next couple of weeks that 
um, all the Muslim inmates start leaving him alone. Before they were threatening him, doing like nasty things to him, sending him letters, all those different things. They stopped doing all that. They just completely uh, uh, isolate themselves away from him. And he wasn't sure exactly what was going on, but he wasn't complaining. <laughs> well, one of his friends came to him and said, hey, you know, you know they've been leaving you alone. He's like, yeah, man, they've been. Praise God. Well, he said, you know why they've been leaving you alone? Apparently, there's this rumor going around that whenever you need them, two nine-foot guys stand behind you. Apparently, God had sent some angels here, and they were protecting. <laughs> I know. Praise the Lord, right? And, and also, I, I'm, a, I'm a scholar in religious studies. So one thing in Islam is they actually have a really, really big theology around angelic beings. So, like, you don't have to convince Muslims are angels real or demons real. They actually, they have a confused theology because it's not biblical, but they really believe it. So when they realized that angels were behind, they were like, yo, we live in this guy alone because we're not messing with angels. And so he didn't know this. And I share that story because I can, and I can share others to let you know that supernatural experiences and supernatural realities still happen. They're not just things that happen in the Bible, but rather the Bible um, encourages us and it gives us um, um, a basis by which we can expect to see God do the supernatural in our lives in the here and in the now. So the world and the reality of the spiritual is something that we get from this experience with Daniel. And then lastly, we understand the value of a stubborn prayer life. I don't know if you're 80 years old or 18 years old, but would you be a stubborn prayer warrior? What would the church of God look like if we were a people that actually prayed with the fervor and the discipline and the consistency that Daniel had? And please don't tell me that you're too busy to pray, because can I remind you that Daniel was one of the three uh, administrators that oversaw the largest empire of the world of the time. Do you think that Daniel was busy? Do you think Daniel had a schedule of things on, uh, on his plate? Even still, it says that Daniel prayed three times a day. What's your prayer life? How stubborn are you for the things of God? Do you put on the back burner? I know that I have. There's been many times I put on the back burner. And then you read stories like Daniel, and you say, man, if I'm going to be going into the lines then at some point, maybe I should get prepared with the prayer. Because, you see, prayer prepares you for the lion's den. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that when Daniel was in the lion's den, he probably prayed some of those psalms, the ones in which it says that lions encircle around me and they speak vicious words to me. I'm sure he prayed some of those psalms which says, Lord, cast me not away right now. I'm sure he prayed all these different things, but he didn't pray for the first time in the lion's den. Oh, no, 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 no. He was praying continuously. It was his habit. What's your habit of prayer? What's your habit of prayer? What's your habit of prayer? You know, as you look through Christian history, all the revivals that occur in Christian history, all the big breakthroughs in the Christian faith, they're always fueled by this thing called prayer. All those moments in which God uh, interacts and he comes and he penetrates into the reality of the human experience from the day of Pentecost to the revivals on Azusa Street to the revivals in Wales to things that happened in Toronto even several years ago. Um, there was this bathing of prayer that goes on. Man, North Jersey Vineyard, you know God has a calling on us to impact 
and affect this region? Are we going to bathe that, that vision and that calling with prayer? You know, when we do the 21 days of prayer, it's not simply so we can put something else on our church calendar. No, we do 21 days of prayer because we believe that when we pray, we actually shake the heavens and cause God to rain down on us his love, his grace, his mercy, his provisions. May we have a stubborn prayer life. May we have that old man stubbornness. That stubbornness that says, I'm not changing for you, for her, for them, for anyone. That's what God's calling us to. This is what we learn from the life of Daniel. I want to just pray over some of you as we close here. So if you wouldn't mind, if you just stand to your feet, we're just going to pray a word here. And, um, and I, even as I finished up the, the first service um, this morning... Um, I got a sense, and I feel like it's just almost a statistical reality as well, that some people in here, uh, you're experiencing the, the lion's den. It could be something where actually people are coming against you, and they're, 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 they're doing things intentionally to, to thwart you. Or it could just be even situational, where it's scary, it's intimidating. And I, bring, I believe the Lord is, is calling us to trust him. The Lord is calling us to trust him just as Daniel trusted God. And so I want to pray that even right now that God would give us all, myself included, a supernatural trust and reliance and faith in him and what he can do. I pray that even that the testimonies that emerge um, from this day would say that, yes, I saw the jaws of the lion, but God... Yes, I was in the dark place, but God. Yes, it was scary, but God. And so I pray even now that there would be a but God moment. And so if that's you right now and you are in that place where you're like, yeah, I'm feeling the weight of the lion's den, I just invite you just to bow your heart. If you feel comfortable, you can even close your eyes. And I just want to pray a prayer over you right now. Most high God, I just thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your provision, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that we can um, look at characters such as Daniel. And these characters are not just characters from two and a half thousand years ago, but rather these are characters that speak to us in the here and the now. These are characters that speak to us right where we're at. Most high God, would you come even now and blow through us that we would have the strength, Lord God, to endure the battles, to endure the trials, to endure the tribulations. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you would silence all the voices that are coming against the purposes and the destinies of those of us in this room right now. Would you silence, Lord God, and close the mouths of the lions that come to devour us? Lord God, would you come and fill us in such a way that your power and your grace would be unleashed in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of prayer. I pray that we would be a people that experience the supernatural move of your hand. I pray that we would be men and women that would come and transform and shape a region. That we would shape a community, Lord God. Fill us, Lord God, with your presence. 
Even now, Lord God, we call on you, Lord God, because you are good. We call on you, Lord God, because you are present. We call on you, God, because you are powerful. We say, Spirit living God, fill us fresh and new, even now in this moment. Come, living God. Lord God, we declare that there is no weapon that is formed against us that will prosper. We declare that nothing can separate us from your love. No height, no depth, no angels can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. We declare right now that we will walk in our destiny. We declare that we will fulfill our purpose. We declare that we will speak the truth and we will experience your love and truth as we live it. Lord God, I pray even now that there would be the experiences that we read about in the scripture in our lives both this day and the days to come with our heads still bowed and our hearts surrendered. If there's anyone here, you've never ever come to a place of knowing the reality of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I give you that invitation. The Bible says that, yeah, we're broken people, we're sinners. Yeah, we stand apart from God because of sin, but it also says that the love of God is so powerful, so strong that Christ died on the cross, resurrected to new life for you, for me. And if you're in a place where you're like, you're like, something happened right now and I'm feeling a move in, inside of me, let me say that that just might be the Holy Spirit prodding you and pulling you towards himself. And so if that's you, I want to invite you to pray along with me. These prayers and these words are not magical, but if they're said with a sincere heart, you invite the presence of God into you. And so repeat after me, Most High God, I love you. I recognize that I'm broken. I recognize that I'm sinful. I recognize I've done things that I shouldn't have done. But I also recognize your love. And I ask you right now, to come and consume me from the inside out. I believe that you took care of my sin on the cross. I believe that you resurrected from the dead for new life. And I accept that now. I make you my savior. And I choose to follow you as Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. If that was you and you just had a moment with the living God, we want to connect with you. We want to connect with you. Indicate down the, on the connection cards as we pass the baskets along the road, and we're going to start passing now. Um, and, or, or you could actually even just text the number 201-584-7188. Text the word follow, and uh, we're going to follow up with you. We just want to encourage your faith. We're not drilling you. We just want to encourage what God may have done inside of your heart this morning during this service, during this worship time. Um, as the baskets are coming across the rows, just feel free, and, and we encourage you just pass them along. You can put your connection card in there as well as your offering in there. Um, and I just want to pray and close us with a, a blessing of you. And I just want to say, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people, we say amen, 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 amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, if you need prayer, we will have people up front that can pray for you. And so if you need prayer, something's going on. We want to we work and we want to uh, approach the throne of God alongside of you. So come up for prayer.
of my soul.